1: Welcome to More Than Amuse Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie.
0: Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another week with More Than Amuse. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani. And we are so happy to have you here, especially during this wonderful month um, where you have even more chances to learn about women mm-hmm. and hopefully more motivation and we will be here
1: every single week to provide you with some more information on amazing and forgotten women artists
0: yep especially since I think at this point we pretty much have an episode for every single day of the month if you wanted to really you know binge it oh, all yeah and educate yourself that's true is this what episode 24 or 25 yeah with a couple
1: bonus episodes, listen to an um, episode every day if you're new here. Yep. You learn so many amazing things about so many amazing women.
0: Yeah. And then by the end of the month, you'd be like, wow, I learned so much about women in the arts. Yeah, but we're happy to have you here. Um, Happy to have you join us. And of course, uh, you can follow us on Instagram, join our Patreon, and follow us on TikTok as well. I was trying to think of a fun question for this one, but I don't know if I really have one. So this week, kind of talking about a group instead of a person, um, but I thought it was very fitting for Women's History Month. I guess like I could ask you what your favorite animal is, <laughs> and then you'll see how it ties in.
1: All right. I'm excited to figure out how it ties in. Do I have a favorite animal? Um, Growing up, the answer
0: was pigs. Okay. Because I think they're so cute. Yeah, they are cute. Have you seen the little teacup pigs that are? My dream
1: is to have a teacup pig
0: as a pet one day. You'll have like a teacup pig and like a rabbit. No,
1: like mini farm
0: animals are my favorite
1: genre of animals. Like one day I want a bunny and a little teacup pig, and they'll be friends and they'll be my little pets. That's the goal.
0: I will say I had goats, and they are very, oh, very yeah, fun. I forgot you had goats. Yes. They're extremely smart but and stubborn, very stubborn, but you can train them, and they will, like, go on little walks with you almost like a dog. And wow. Too. So goats are pretty cool, too, if you wanted a
1: tiny farm animal. The one farm animal that, like, does not do it for me are chickens. Chickens kind of freak me out to be honest. I do not like chickens.
0: They're a little crazy. We had those too. Oh <laughs> <Ugh>, that just. <laughs> I like
1: dated someone who had chickens and once like we went to his like house in his backyard and he's like come see the chickens and it was like frozen panic terror and I was like I'm good I don't want to be around these chickens <laughs> like this is I do not
0: like them. Chickens aren't necessarily something that I think you could call a pet, but the eggs are nice. Other than that, we never really wanted anything to do with them either. They're very very weird.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. That's why maybe I'll have my little teacup pig, a bunny, and a goat. And I'll just have my little mini petting zoo farm (laughs) that
0: will be very wholesome. I can see it now. My favorite animal... For a long time, it was penguins. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, huge fan of those. Still, I think they're very cute. But I also really love koala bears and manatees. Oh, those are cute. Yes, I have kind of an obsession. If you can't tell, with like little chubby animals, they're the best kind. They are. <laughs> Um, I wasn't obsessed with manatees until on my mission in um, Ohio. The Columbus Zoo actually has an aquarium attached to it, too. So it's a zoo and aquarium. Cute. And in the aquarium, they have a bunch of manatees. And they're so cool to watch. And they have, like, lettuce always floating on the top. And then they go up, and with, like, their little fins, they grab the lettuce and eat it. Like you would imagine, like, a little human grabbing the that's very nice that is it's pretty adorable so
1: yeah that's cute what about variation on this question but if you were to be come if you were to die and reincarnate and come back as an animal what animal do you think like what's your spirit animal
0: what would you come back as I feel like I'm trying to think too strategically about it where it'd be like well I want to choose something that wouldn't die as soon there <laughs> but I guess like what do you feel like you're soul emulates in animal form i think i would probably be like a koala bear i think that one's the most i could see that yeah they just like sleep and eat their eucalyptus (laughs) i mean that's not what i was thinking (laughs) (laughs) but they're like cute and cuddly and also kind of rare yeah. I think of myself.
1: I feel like koala bears have like calming, like they slow calming energy. I feel like you have a very calming energy. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. You have that about, about you. you. You
0: radiate calmness. Or I could come back as Winnie. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, come back as your little dog. I would not mind being a little toy cockapoo. He has a pretty great life. Honestly,
1: I feel like my spirit animal is a golden retriever. So I feel like I <laughs> could come back as a dog
0: very fitting especially because you always used to joke that your name was the name for a dog I've
1: I've heard of more dogs named Sadie than I have humans and I feel like Sadie is a great name for golden retrievers so I feel like I would just come back as a golden retriever
0: I think that's very fitting yeah like a very friendly (laughs) and nice and pretty and (laughs) just
1: wants to go on walks and hang out with everybody like that would be me as an animal
0: no, golden retrievers are nice. Um, going to a lot of dog parks, a lot of the times, mm. like, those are the nicest big dogs. Yeah. And Winnie's, like, never scared of them because they're just, like, really chill. And, like, they just come up and they just want to be petted. And they always look like they're smiling. Oh, they they're do. Just really cute. Yeah. So I agree with that. I
1: like that. Cool. We have it. If we yeah. would die. We'll be back <laughs> as a golden
0: retriever and a koala bear. <laughs> Living very different lives. We're living very different lives, but <laughs> um okay, so how this ties in. I know I'm <laughs> excited loose. to see how
1: this ties in.
0: So the group I wanted to talk about is actually the Gorilla Girls. Um oh. I don't know if you've heard of them. I don't think I have. It's a pretty big feminist art movement. And I would say it probably falls into the sphere of graphic design mostly even though they don't really talk about graphic design they talk about just the art world and then even lately they've moved into like pop culture um film award shows and it's just like heavy criticism on the sexism and racism that exists Mm. Um, but they do a lot of like posters and infographics and stickers and exhibitions so it does kind of fall into the graphic design category but Mm. i thought it would be fitting Um, because they actually dress up as gorillas, even though the title is not spelled like gorilla. It's spelled G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A, gorilla. Okay, yeah. Like gorilla warfare. So yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about today. It's not an individual. It's a bunch of individuals. No, but this is cool.
1: I've, I've heard of them and I just did a quick Google search and I was like, oh yeah, I know what this is. So, but I don't know a ton, so I'm I'm excited.
0: Yeah, it was really exciting. I've definitely seen the art pieces, but it was cool to kind of dive back into like what started them and what the whole movement and everything surrounds, mm-hmm. um, and even some of the criticism. They're definitely not without some criticism, so we'll get into that as well. But. Yeah. So the Guerrilla Girls are an anonymous group of feminist female artists devoted to fighting sexism and racism within the art world. Um, The group originally formed in New York City in 1985, and it was just to help bring more focus to racial and gender inequality within the greater arts community. So they do a lot of posters. Like I said, they also have a ton of books, billboards, and they've even um, done a lot of public appearances. And then I'll kind of go into like what The gorilla masks have to do with everything. (laughs) and um, But mainly, um, one of the reasons is they wear gorilla masks to remain anonymous um, because they wanted the focus to be on the issues and not on the personalities or their own work. Because so many of them are artists, they wanted it to be focused on the issues and not necessarily their own artwork. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So kind of a state of the arts of what was going on that began this during the height of the contemporary art movement, a lot of galleries weren't doing a great job of representing female artists and curators. And that was primarily because they were funded by a lot of elites, which was predominantly white males. And it meant that a lot of museums began to really lean towards white male exhibits of artists, especially Mm. for their more modern art displays. And this started to really cause some problems that showed like how unbalanced the scale was becoming. Like it always was, but like more so than ever. And then um, I think it's also because like money started to really flow into the arts at this time period, especially everyone was done with world wars. So around the eighties, like a more money was being invested in a lot of the arts. Also, um, kind of what they structure their movement around is a lot of feminist artists in the 1970s started trying to do stuff like this and like make really radically different art and kind of call things out and like be really ultra feminist. But Mm. what happened is that it kind of created like the feminist hatred sort of thing that like still exists primarily today. Like I think a lot of people still have that concept of feminism where it's like man-hating no bra like yeah screw you kind of attitude and the gorilla girls didn't really want to do that they didn't want to have all women exhibits because we've talked about that before in the podcast how it's not effective and they didn't want to um like hate men necessarily they just wanted to shed light on what was happening in the art world oh yeah they also didn't like like pickets and marches because they realized that from the 1970s heavy museums could completely ignore protesters and have no problem with it at all like it's Dang. pretty easy to ignore hate coming at you because it's not very often viewed as like effective criticism and i think especially that it's kind of an interesting thing to think about today with social media is that a lot of the times like hate comments i think people don't realize that They'll just get filed under hate comments and it doesn't come as effective criticism for things. Yeah.
1: Where it's like, if they're used to just getting, you know, horrible messages from people, then it's like almost like anything like that. They'll just automatically file away if I don't need to listen. But then what if that person actually deserves some
0: type of critique? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, it's just not an effective way to protest. And so they wanted to find a better way to protest things that were happening. That also appealed to like a younger generation of women. Mm So they really focused on wit and laughter, which also prevented further backlash. And we'll kind of go into that. A lot of their stuff is like very witty, very kind of like underhanded in a way where it like sounds very nice. But then you're like, wait, that was like stingingly (laughs) (laughs) like that was sassy. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a invitation only group. It originally started out with seven women. There's even like a mentoring program. It kind of sounds like a secret society. I know. That's what I'm like, ooh, I want to join or I want to be invited. You can only be invited if you know current and past members, which means that you don't even know who the members are. So eventually like... I don't know, I guess they just invite you. I don't know how it works. (laughs) And then um, they have a mentoring program. So they pair an experienced girl-a-girl with like a new one and then like teach them the way of how it goes and everything. They actually have made a lot of statements about how they're completely fine with individuals outside of the group claiming to be a part of the group because they said it can only enhance us by having people of power who have been given credit for being a girl even if they never were. Hmm. So, I thought that was kind of cool that they're like, yeah, go ahead and claim it. It makes us sound even cooler, even if you never were a part of it.
1: That's true. I mean, yeah, the more people that are behind what you're doing, the better, even if it's actually not formal.
0: And then um, they do have a rule a lot against men becoming a part of the Gorilla Girls, obviously, because it's the Gorilla Girls. But they do encourage men to support the group by assisting in other promotional activities and like promoting the art. Everything. Another cool thing about them, they all go under pseudonyms, which are based on dead female artists. Oh, so that's there's cool. like Kathy Kalowitz, Frida Kahlo, Alma Thomas, Rosa Blancorea, Alice Neal, Julia de Burgos, and Hannah Hawk. And uh, the reason this started is the one, the Gorilla Girls, Rosa Ball Car- Car- carriera, I'm probably saying it wrong, but she had the idea to do that in Oh, as a way to like not forget female artists of the past. She read about Carriera in a footnote of letters on Suzanne. And she was like, Oh, like nobody knows anything about this artist. I'm gonna like adopt her name as my pseudonym in order to give honor to her. So like her name's Whoa. brought up more often, which That's I thought amazing. is a cool way to look at it. And this also was something that they had to do pretty early on for media interviews because it was causing a lot of confusion because they'd refused to give names. But then like (laughs) all like people didn't know how to quote them because they'd be like, oh, Gorilla Girl 1, Gorilla Girl 2, but all this stuff like they didn't know what to do. And then there's actually one girl who goes by Gorilla Girl 1 because she decided to take on her name as a way to memorialize women of the art community who have fallen under the radar and didn't have a name. So she Mm -hmm. kind of likes to encompass all of the. The forgotten, forgotten
1: female yeah. I guess. wait so how many are there like are there only a certain amount at one time
0: nobody really just knows. start at seven yeah it started with seven founding members but I'm pretty sure it's like pretty big now okay but okay then again I don't know how long people stay in it like I don't know if the founding members if they're still alive or are still a part of it or if at one point they like graduate and like get on to someone else like it's all kind of yeah a mystery. I'm very intrigued by the secrecy. Like it makes it so compelling. It is kind of cool. It's like this little secret society of the art world that's like focused on taking down the patriarchy. So yeah. <laughs> pretty cool. Um, And then kind of leading into the gorilla symbolism. So gorilla, the word not spelled like the animal, like gorilla warfare. It means a member of a small independent group taking part in a regular fighting, typically against large... Larger regular forces, which is very Mm. fitting. And when they came up with that name, they had a member taking notes and she wrote the word gorilla wrong, spelling it like the animal instead, like wrote gorilla girls and they kind (laughs) of laughed about it. And then they were like, Hey, actually that would be kind of funny. They like decided, that was a thing. yeah, they decided to adopt it and use it as kind of their disguise so that mm. people wouldn't know who they were. It would allow them to like go out in public and like present things and do stuff without being recognized. Yeah, so it worked really, really well. And then as time went on, they realized how perfectly a gorilla actually fit in with what they were doing. How like gorillas are often associated with like masculinity and then also they're very overly sexualized which a lot of times happens to women especially in art and then it also was kind of fun for them to adopt that as a way to like push against stereotypical notions of female beauty because they have like these scary faces and like all over body hair and stuff like that that a lot of the times people would not be willing to accept within women and um, another thing that they like is that it covers the idea of exoticism too especially with women a lot of times they're looked as like exotic sexual beings um just like gorillas are so it was kind of cool that that all tied in so perfectly to what they were actually going for that's kind of where that whole gorilla Ian comes, so kind of a loose connection to what your favorite animal was, but there it is. <laughs> no, I
1: like it. I like the conversation we got to have about our favorite kind of animals. <laughs>
0: yeah. And um, kind of what started this whole thing, like their first big thing they did is in the spring of 1985, the seven original women launched their whole movement in response to the Museum of Modern Art's exhibition called an international survey of recent painting and sculpture. And there was a roster of 165 artists and only 13 women were included out of wow. 165. And, um, they like claimed that it was the most important painters and sculptors, um, from 17 countries, but the portion of artists of color was even smaller. And there wasn't a single artist of color who was also a female. Which wow. was just kind of crazy. Um, There was even someone, a curator, who said that any artist who wasn't in the show should rethink his career, basically saying like, if you're not in here, then you're not important. Obviously, that didn't go over very well. (laughs) It showed bias on the part of the curator. It kind of was a complete snub to anyone who wasn't included, especially from so many different countries and have so few artists yeah I feel like that's so
1: like what a limiting thing to say and like just because that's what you've opened yourself up to I don't know to say that like there's this is the best of the best and no one else really matters is like okay what is life like for you that your worldview is so small and I don't know that's just ugh, that's gross
0: <laughs> yeah just like a horrible thing to say so they actually started out with trying to protest in front of the MOBA the MoMA but obviously like we said before they realized protesting didn't really work very well yeah and so instead they pasted posters throughout all of downtown Ma- Manhattan especially through the prominent like artistic neighborhoods oh that's cool so started to draw attention to their focus And then of course, after that, they also expanded into racism and really focused on that as well. And they also, they focus mainly on the art world, obviously. So a lot of museum exhibits, auction prices, things like that. But they've also included sexism and racism in films, mass and popular culture, and even have done some political pieces. Which is good. One of their first things that they did, they conducted what they call the weenie counts. <laughs> and they awesome. basically go through museums and count how many male artists versus female artists were in the subject of the paintings, as well as were the artists. And oh. this comes from like a lot of the statistics where the Met. Their public collections in 1989 showed that women produced less than 5% of the works in the modern art department, while 85% of the nudes were female. So it's like women are only acceptable in museum if it's from the lens of the male gaze. Exactly. And kind of ties in perfectly to our podcast where it's like, oh, they only let them in if they're the subject of paintings rather than... Yeah. Yeah. If they're the muse, then they're allowed. But if they're not, then... Then That's it's harder. They also work with a lot of like they call a lot of curators, art dealers, collectors, and critics out critics out by name. So they're known mm. for like a lot of lists where they'll be like these people aren't doing a very good job, and we'll have like all of their names listed out, um, which is pretty bold and funny. Their category of art falls under like protest art because of all of their posters and everything like that. Um, especially their like weenie counts that they did (laughs) but one of the things that made people really pay attention to all of this is the fact that all of their stuff was fact-driven and was cited so it was hard to argue with it it wasn't just an opinion it was actually based on stuff and so Mm -hmm. it made it really hard for people to be super mad about what they were saying because it was true and they also did a really good job of tying in humor Um, as time went on they made their posters really eye-catching they used humorous images they used really snarky humorous language so that people would pay more attention to what they were saying they also were known to hand out a lot of fact sheets around downtown downtown Manhattan especially during like big art events that showed a lot of different inequalities between male and female artists and um continuing to call out different sexism parts of everything yeah
1: well i mean going back to like just like speaking facts of like it, that is what's effective because it's like there's been a couple of times where it's like i'm having conversations with people and then i'll be like no there's sexism in the music industry and people will be like no like this and this and this or i'll be like oh i think the sexism is bad and you know people can counter that but when i say only two percent of all producers in the music industry are women why do you think that is and then it just kind of stunts people as they're like wait really that's true and it's like yes that is absolutely true why do you think maybe it could have something to do with sexism you know what i mean so i feel like that's like that's the way that you kind of have to have these conversations especially with people who are wanting to push against that that could be true
0: you know no exactly i think like Nothing will work better, especially in protest, than like actual, because you can say as much as you want that things are unfair, but it just sounds like a whiny kid until you go, well, actually, like this percent of this is this. And then people are like, oh, it's almost like just like presenting the facts and just being
1: like, so what do we think? What what are our conclusions? Like, don't you think this is a little
0: interesting exactly because facts can't lie like opinions can be very biased but when it comes to a fact like it's the truth that's it that's what it is
1: like those are the numbers
0: (laughs) yeah so some of their most famous artworks we're gonna go over a few of them in 1985 they printed a poster showing the salary gap in the art world between men and women and it's Mm -hmm. a dollar it's like chopped at a certain point and it says women in America earn only two-thirds of what men do women artists earn only one third of what male artists do. And so it was showing that like the pay gap was actually worse for artists than regular women in, the which I know with a lot of things we've talked about with auction prices, that's still very prevalent today. That the pay gap between male and female artists is way higher <laughs> than any other industry, another poster they listed. Uh, this is one where they definitely called people out by name. They had, what do these artists have in common? And they listed off a bunch of prominent artists at the time. That's and amazing. they said they allow their work to be shown in galleries that show no more than 10% of women or none at all. So wow. <laughs> calling people out for not choosing galleries that were more inclusive inclusive of the opposite sex. Um, one of their very sassy ones is they have a poster that says the advantages of being a woman artist.
1: Oh, yeah. And
0: they've hinted it, printed it in 1988. There's, okay, these are the subtitles, working without the pressure of success, not having to be in shows with men, having an escape from the art world in your four freelance jobs, knowing your (laughs) career might pick up after you're 80, being reassured that whatever kind of art you make, it will be labeled feminine, not being stuck in a tenured teaching position, seeing your ideas live on in the work of others, having the opportunity to choose between career and motherhood, not having to choke on those big cigars or paint in Italian suits, having more time to work after your mate dumps you for someone younger, being included in revised versions of art history, not having to undergo the embarrassment of being called a genius and getting your picture in art magazines wearing a gorilla suit. (laughs) Like I said, just very snarky. Obviously, instead of just saying like, we never get this and we never get this, they went, here's the advantages and it's all very double-sided. But it shows just what the art world actually kind of still continues to be like today. Obviously, the 80s weren't that long ago, so yeah. <laughs> even though things are happening, they, yeah, it hasn't been long enough for a large portion of change to take place. Um, another one they have is when racism and sexism are no longer fashionable. What will your art collection be worth? Ooh. And it says the art market won't bestow megabuck prices on the work of just a few white males forever. For the $17.7 million you just spent on a single Jasper Johns painting, you could have bought at least one work by all of these women and artists of color. And they included a long list of a bunch of female and artists of color that could have been purchased from
1: him. Dang. Especially, like, when you factor in the fact of, like, the painters were also people who were bad people who were sexist and racist you know what I mean that it's like it's not even just the fact of what the creators looked like it's like what was the character of those artists and at a certain point I mean while you know we've had conversations about in some aspects separating the art from the creator and you know still appreciating the art even if the person wasn't great but at the same time you know like How will that possibly diminish the work and how comfortable are you, you know, owning and paying millions of dollars for work to someone who isn't great, you know?
0: They actually have a poster on that exact thing. I'm gonna see if I can find it really quick. I also saw
1: one that I was just I'm looking them up too, because they're awesome. That this is a sidetrack, but it says even the US Senate is more progressive than Hollywood. Female senators, 14% female film directors four percent which is like that's actually crazy yep
0: the senate is better off i know because
1: like you would think of like oh the u.s senate you know that's where all the old white men are but it's like oh so that's even better than like hollywood which is like hollywood is like supposed to kind of be a progressive world
0: you know what i mean yes exactly and i definitely i can't go over everything that they've done so i would oh, highly no. encourage everyone like look up their stuff um they have so many things um yeah the one i was talking about though they have three ways to write a museum wall label when the artist is a sexual predator (laughs) and they have like the museum's afraid of alienating billionaire trustees and collectors who donated the artist's work and it's like a very short normal one and then for museums conflicted about disclosing an artist's abuse next to us art and it's the same with like an additional sentence that said like many artists he had a few disgruntled employees (laughs) Or museums who need help from the Gorilla Girls. And it basically goes into his complete sexual predator history and like everything that he did. And they use the artist Chuck Close as an example, who was very, very popular at that time.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, but I always thought that was kind of a good approach that it doesn't necessarily have to be as snarky as this one was. But at least they could put a disclosure saying like, oh, like, it's come to light that this person wasn't that great, but we can still admire the artwork even though the artist wasn't necessarily that wonderful of a person. Like, Mm -hmm. there's got to be some way to say things so that it's not praising people who weren't very good people.
1: (laughs) And, like, giving them fortune and, I don't know, millions of millions of dollars. I don't know.
0: And notoriety without ever saying anything.
1: I think that's the thing. It's, like, putting them on fame or some type of pedestal when, I mean, their art might be good, but it's, like, if someone is abusing people, it doesn't, at a certain point, it can't really matter how good their art is. Like, we shouldn't be giving them that kind of notoriety. Especially without any disclosure statements.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. If you're going to talk about them, then at least, like, talk about all of the aspects of who they were as a person, not just the parts that make you comfortable.
1: Yeah, kind of like we talked about with, like, the bad art couples in Picasso of, like, We've all heard of Picasso, but how many of us who aren't artists who like, you know, know art history, but like in the common population, just like also know that Picasso wasn't really that good of a person, you know?
0: Like very few because that's not what people talk about. Yeah, definitely something that needs to be done. Um, One of their other famous works is they have a 1986 poster um, that says in like really feminine, girly script pretty much and it has a little flower on it too so they really played it up it's also printed on pink paper I love um, that but it says dearest art collector it has come to our attention that your collection like most does not contain enough art by women we know that you feel terrible about this and will rectify the situation immediately all of our love <laughs> gorilla girls
1: I adore that <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: and they also the reason why they did it this way is they were also um kind of being very sarcastic about the way that women are supposed to have like so- socially acceptable, nice complaints. Yeah. supposed to be like very polite and like very, um, I don't know, just like more soft, I guess you could say. Yeah. yeah. And it was kind of a commentary as well on how hard it is for female artists and what lengths they have to go through to like be taken seriously.
1: Yeah. I'm going to be shady for a brief second, but maybe I should – create some cards and sparkle it put glitter all over it and just say hey local songwriters I noticed that none of your co-writes or releases have been with women I would love to help you with that sincerely Sadie sign it with a heart and I'll kiss it and spray it with my perfume
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly but it just kind of shows like that's what women are expected to do when they do complain it's like supposed to be very yeah like oh I'm so sorry you must feel awful
1: well yeah because even like even me making that joke just now I like in internally am like fighting this oh but I need to make sure that everyone listening is a joke because what if someone I do know happens to listen to it and it offends them and it's like no sometimes I get annoyed by the fact that I don't feel like women as a whole are involved in the local scene and I'm just curious as to why That's all. And I shouldn't have to feel sorry for bringing that up.
0: No, exactly. I think as a whole, women apologize way too often. Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's a very fitting poster. And kind of what makes it even funnier is now it's like, ironically, a collector's item, even though it Mm -hmm. was like, dear art collectors, like you guys suck (laughs) pretty much. And now it's like a collector's item that a lot of people like try to get
1: yeah maybe I want to get one and, like hang it
0: up in my room. That'd I cool. <laughs> I was actually thinking I was like that one would be very fitting to have like on a vision board or like yeah. Serious like, art collector. It has come to our attention you're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know how we
1: can help. Much love.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then one of their most famous ones um kind of plays on the thing I mentioned earlier with the weenie counts. Um, they did a giant billboard um, or a giant poster that was their first full color image and it was 1989 and they said do women have to be naked to get into the Met Museum and then said less than 5% of the artists in the modern art sections are women but 85% of the nudes are female it had a picture of a very famous nude by John Auguste in Greece I'm probably saying that wrong sorry guys don't speak French And um, it's one of the most famous female nudes in Western art history, but they put a gorilla over her face. (laughs) Love it. It's just very fitting. Um, And something that someone has said about them is the posters were rude. They named names and they printed statistics and almost always cited the source of those statistics at the bottom, making them difficult to dismiss. They embarrassed people. In other words, it worked. Well, I think that's just
1: like the funny thing where it's like, Ah, like sometimes be like oh I'm embarrassed I got called out and it's like no you should be more embarrassed that you were doing the thing and stop you know like it should be more embarrassing to you that you were sexist for all those years not that you're suddenly being called out for it and if you weren't gonna get called out for it you would never change but anyways go on no oh, it just makes me think a lot about
0: like youtuber po- apologies <laughs> and how they always just kind of feel very like flat like <laughs> they're not actually trying to yeah. apologize it's more that they're just mad about the outrage and they're trying to save their career yeah. well and i was just saying like it would be so much nicer if people actually felt bad for the stuff that they said and did mm-hmm. and were able to like actually have true remorse and instead of just putting up like a weird apology video and then moving on as if nothing happened to like yeah. actually make legitimate changes in their lives in order to like progressively move forward and become a better person <laughs> Totally.
1: Or more recently, um, like with Justin Timberlake, did you see that he like apologized for how he treated Britney during the scandal and was like, very like just anti-woman in that sense of just like smearing her for her name and just like being very sexist and horrible to her but it's like so now after that documentary came out he's like I'm so sorry for my actions and it's like no 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 like you're now sorry because the whole world is seeing this you have known about your actions and also like your actions have been recorded You know what I mean? And like, it's been common knowledge that that is how you behaved. So now you're just saving face. If like five years ago, he would have been like, and you know, who knows? Maybe he has. Maybe he has reached out to Britney Spears and done that personal apology. And then now he's
0: just doing it for the public face. I don't know. I don't, I don't believe that's the truth though. It's just, if you wait until you get called out, then most of the times it doesn't sound genuine. Yeah. And that's the hard part. Yeah, I especially with like also recently the Chris Harrison drama. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and how the, the like The Bachelor, yeah, and how um, how Rachel Lindsay like interviewed him. And she even said later, she was like, he didn't apologize, he reached out to me afterwards and was like, hey, thanks, I'm glad we were able to have that discussion. And mm-hmm. then he only apologized once there was public outrage. And it's just if you don't realize that you're doing anything wrong then, like, maybe that's what you should apologize more for. It'd be like, oh, I'm sorry that I didn't realize I was wrong. Like, I'm gonna too better.
1: I almost, like, would rather people just, like, own up to it than to be so confident with their decision and then backtrack so immediately. I mean, I guess, you know, I don't always realize I'm wrong until someone calls me out for it. So, like, I get it. But at the same time, it's just like, what?
0: but then at least they could admit it instead of just like blazing over it be like oh I'm sorry I offended everyone to be like you know what I was an idiot I didn't realize that I was being so stupid like like that was so stupid of me I'm so sorry exactly because it just doesn't feel genuine ever and I wonder how much of it has to do with publicists but (laughs) I honestly
1: feel like most so
0: (laughs) like I'm sure Justin
1: Timberlake's publicist was like yo your name's getting I don't know why I just said yo so
0: confidently, (laughs) but I did. Anyways. Justin Timberlake's publicist would say yo. That's true. (laughs) I
1: fully believe Justin Timberlake's publicist says yo routinely. (laughs) Anyways, whoever they may be, I just know it in my heart. But, you know, like he called him up and was like, people are going off on Twitter about your response to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson. You got to say something. And he was like, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. From his whatever. Anyways.
0: Yeah, it just always falls a little bit flat. Yeah, but yeah, like good for them for calling people out before the internet was even a huge thing. So
1: I know, like they they are like the OG cancel culture,
0: <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Said
1: this is cancel culture. I fully support
0: even yeah, because they weren't even trying to cancel the museums. They weren't saying shut down. They were just saying hey, and true. women.
1: <laughs> like this is a problem. Fix this.
0: Yeah, please. exactly.
1: We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one
0: of our new favorite women artists.
1: Okay, so the artist that I want to spotlight today is a Utah-based um, singer-songwriter. I don't think I've actually met her, but you know we have a lot of mutual followers, and um, I know a lot of people that she's worked with, but her name is Angie Petty, and she is a musician, singer-songwriter. She's an amazing vocalist. Um, her bio is let's talk about our feelings and braid each other's hair, which I think is cute. (laughs) Yeah. And her Instagram name is a petty music. Um, she has like new, you know, music. She has music now on Spotify that you can check out. But I also know that she's recently like really announced an album that she's going to be putting out here soon, I think in April or I'm not really sure. But um, I'm actually really excited for it. Um, And also, like, she's, like, a good content creator, too. Like, I think it's cool. Like, you can tell she's, like, putting in really cool effort and is, like, doing, like, the Instagram guides and, like, the cool reels and, like, just really cool posts. Um, So she's a fun person to follow. Um, So, yeah, go check her out. And, And also, like, her music is amazing and her songwriting is great. So, again, that's A Petty Music.
0: That's awesome. Mine's a local graphic designer. Um, I think she actually went to UVU, but I didn't know her personally. But her name's Jordan Gleason. It's J-O-R-D-Y-N. And then Gleason oh. spelled G-L-E-A-S-O-N. Um, yeah. but she's actually the chapter leader of Ladies Wine and Design Salt Lake City, which was started by Jessica Walsh, who's a very famous graphic designer. So you can also follow that account if you want. Um, but it basically just highlights women in design. And she just posts a lot of fun stuff. I always enjoy her things. She's been working on some fonts lately and posting that um, and just a bunch of other projects. You wanna know what's hilarious? I feel like we keep accidentally being
1: very on theme, but I follow this person too. And she has done graphic design for Angie Petty who I just shouted out. Really? Yeah, so what are the chances of that? Hilarious. (laughs) oddly seemed so yeah, she, know. yeah so she's done really cool branding for Angie so
0: that's hilarious well there you go very fitting oh, we promise we don't plan this you guys. yeah we really don't <laughs> it just happens.
1: I know that's hilarious
0: but yeah she's really fun to follow
1: yeah I, I follow her too she's she's really cool and really talented
0: I think her feed is so co- cohesive which is sometimes hard to do with graphic design
1: yeah especially when you're doing like just projects for people
0: Yep, you'll have, like, very varying stuff. Oh, I just saw her Angie Betty stuff. Oh, so good. Yeah,
1: like, her, like, I know she's in, like, posters, and I think even, like, album covers for her, or, like, yeah. single covers. They're really cool.
0: Looks like she did, like, a logo for her, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, cool stuff. So follow some local people if you're in the area, or branch out and follow some people from out of the area if you're not.
1: Exactly. Yeah. There's something no matter where you're from. Well, actually, I'm going to just say real quick, if any of our listeners have any artist friends or anyone that you feel like should be spotlighted, please DM them to us because, you know, obviously we are limited with the artists that we see um, every day, just, you know, because a lot of them I'll just get who I already am following or I'll, you know, who's recommended to me. So if anyone, you know, has any really cool friends or anything that you think deserve a shout out, Definitely send them over. We always love listener submitted ones.
0: Yes, we do. It really helps us out so that we can branch out and find new people as well. So exactly. We love it. Send your friends or you or whoever. It would be great. Yes. All right. Now back to the show. They ended up going international and they did a ton of stuff in Europe. Um, doing a lot of things saying like, oh, guess what? The problem's even worse in Europe. Which makes sense mm. because Europe museums have been around for even longer, which means sexism is even deeper ingrained in their Yeah, People just
1: get so set in their ways, don't mm. they?
0: Yeah, especially when your country's been around for like over 100 years. Forever. Forever. Yeah. Um. Which I guess. How old is the United States? I'm gonna. Say. I,
1: I just had a thought. I'm like, wait, how old is America? 1776. <laughs> so 300
0: something years almost. Oh wow! Never mind. Like a thousand it. years. <laughs> I know. If your country been around for a thousand years, then you're even more. Like hungry. let's go. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Europe's very old. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I just showed oh. that my lack of history skills there.
1: That's okay. We're we're not historians. We've given that disclaimer many a times. I don't know how old yeah. the United States is. I'm anyway, they did a
0: ton to... of stuff in Venice. They did stuff in Turkey. Um, they did a whole exhibition in Greece and um, one in Quebec as well. Um, in 2009, they actually launched a thing called I'm Not a Feminist, but if I were, this is what I'd complain about. And Ooh. it was an interactive Graffiti wall that allowed women to kind of add things, even if they don't necessarily identified as a feminist, with things that they thought were wrong with the female and male. When did you say that was again? 2009.
1: I feel like it's been more recent years, too, where people have started really claiming the word feminist and it's not had that bad connotation. So I like love that. Like what a smart way to be like almost like give women a space to complain without feeling like they had to like attach themselves to at the time a very negative connotation, you know, where maybe that would stop women from complaining because they're like, I don't want to be seen as the crazy, bitter woman. Whatever stereotype feminism was. I'm glad we've
0: changed that. I'm very grateful it's changed because there is nothing wrong with being Mm a feminist. It doesn't mean you hate men or anything else. It just means that equal rights are very important. Yeah, it
1: doesn't mean you're a bitter, whiny woman. It just means you're annoyed when you feel like people care less about you because you are a woman, which is fair.
0: It is fair, and everyone should feel that way. Yeah, like if you're being treated like less based on gender or color or any other distinguishing features of your person, like you should have every right to be. Like ours. you get to be as
1: mad about that as you want to be. Yes,
0: agreed. And I think that that was a very good way of them doing it. Um, They also had a very famous billboard in Los Angeles protesting white male dominance at the Oscars in 2002. Um, mm-hmm. They basically put a little white man as an Oscar and then put at the title uh, anatomically correct Oscars <laughs> and had, uh, it say basically that like it's white and male, just like every person that wins. <laughs> <laughs> so that one was funny. They did a bunch of other exhibits during that time. Um, they moved a lot into the film world and protest a lot of those things. And they also are very well known for protesting politics. I'm not going to get a whole lot into that cuz obviously we focus more on the art world and film and everything than politics. We're not a political podcast. Yeah. Uh, they protest a lot of presidents and their stances on things and um other bills and laws and stuff that have been passed that they don't agree with. So,
1: going back to like you talking about film, like I think it's so crazy with how many discipline of arts that we've so far talked about just how the one thing they all have in common is this huge divide. Like, it's not like, oh, in painting, it's mostly men, but in sculpting, it's mostly women. Or in the, you know what I mean? Like, or in songwriting, it's mostly women. So it's okay. It's just various, you you know, variances or whatever. But in like, so every single medium of art, there is very astronomical proportions, you know? So... I don't know. It's just crazy.
0: No, I love that because, yeah, it's not like there's an industry of art that it's predominantly women, except maybe weaving. Yeah. yeah. And, like, fiber art, but that's only because women were only allowed to do that.
1: Yeah, it's, like, almost like the art mediums, though, where it's, like, associated with homemaking, then women are allowed to be there. Except for
0: professional chefs, which Which that's is interesting. interesting
1: or not. Well, and that's what even like with embroidery. So, you know, I've recently tried started to get an embroidery, which means I'm watching a ton of YouTube videos. And I was like having that. I was thinking about that the other day of like most of the time it's like like it's not a hobby that people would take seriously. And granted, I'm not advocating for people to take my hobby of embroidery seriously. This is strictly something I'm doing to, you know, for, as a pastime thing. But I know there's other people like, you know, who we featured last week for the Artist Spotlight who do use this as an art medium. And it's just interesting that, you know, maybe because it's more associated with homemaking and like something that grandmas like doing, it's maybe viewed as a lesser art form when it's like, no, it's, this is a whole separate tangent, but it's just something I was thinking about this week. Yeah, no,
0: I think it's a very important thing. um, Because yeah, it is weird how with how many art industries and breakoffs there are that there doesn't seem to be one that is Mm -hmm. considered as prestigious as the rest that have predominantly women in it.
1: Yeah. And it's like, and women are allowed to be in the ones that are homemaking driven yet. Those are the art fields that also aren't probably taken as seriously or aren't as pretentious,
0: which is interesting. It is interesting. Um, They also started publishing a lot of books. Um, They have like confessions of the gorilla girls with like 50 works plus an interview Um, They have a Guerrilla Girls bedside Companion to the History of Western Art, which sold over 82,000 copies (laughs) and talks about how art history's male domination constrained several female artists' careers, which sounds really cool. Um, And then a bunch of other ones, like they've just been putting out books. Um, That's very cool. They also actually ended up with a children's book in 2004 they did a gorilla girls museum activity book and it kind mm. of parodied children museum activity books because um they wanted to teach children how to both appreciate and critique museums which i thought is kind of cool and one of their other books that sounds really cool is they published a history of hysteria um and they called it the hysterical her story of hysteria and how it was cured from ancient times until now <laughs> Which Dang. I think is very fitting, especially going hand in hand with our fangirls episode, how we talked about hysteria was a predominantly female, like, ailment that they tried oh, yeah. to cure by giving people, um, what are they called when they remove your uterus? Oh, a hysterectomy? Yeah, by giving people hysterectomies in order to try and cure their hysteria. So very fitting that they have a book about that
1: as well. That's a good episode, too. So go listen to our fangirls episode. I That one's fun.
0: Definitely. So, yeah, they've done a lot of that. Um, Kind of a funny thing is that a lot of the museums that they actually criticized in the early days, they've given presentations at most of them now. And they often have collections or exhibits in most of them now, (laughs) which is kind of funny. And they have gotten some backlash for that um, because they're like, how can you criticize the museum and then be a part of it? But at the same time, like, they have mentioned that there's no better way to criticize something than from inside it. So kind of funny that they're able to criticize the Met inside of the Met in an exhibit in the own museum that they have a poster about. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because like obviously you're going to reach the people that are going to that institution if you're inside it more than you would ever reach it outside. So kind of fitting. So some of their controversies. Uh, They have gotten a lot of criticism for their own members of not being diverse enough, Um, but obviously there's not a large way to like fact check that, especially because they're all anonymous, so uh, the main criticism tends to be that both of the de facto leaders like the two original are both white. And um, a lot of people have criticized the fact that the one who goes by Frida Kahlo is not Latina, even though she uses a Latina artist's name
1: mm.
0: and and all of that. But it is kind of hard to get precise information on the demographics, like I said, because there there isn't like an official member list posted online or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, like their whole idea is being yeah. anonymous.
0: <laughs> and there have been a few... People of color, specifically women of color, that are a part of the Gorilla Girls, that said that they felt uncomfortable wearing the signature gorilla mask because of yeah different tokenism and stuff like that. I which was wondering sense. about
1: that kind of because that has been as a, like a caricature in the past, and I wondered if I don't know I was considering that.
0: <laughs> yep. So they have felt some have spoken out about being feel feeling a little bit like that, and then also not feeling like they're put in um. A complete the same categories a lot of the other members who are white um, which is very valid and important for them to face that own criticism of themselves um, one of the other things is that they don't tend to um, recognize intersectionality as much which mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what intersectionality means it's basically that like artists of color and women both face discrimination in different ways so female artists will face sexism and um, people of color will face racism. But if you look at female people of color, then they're facing both. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it puts them in a completely different category where the the bias against them is greater. And a lot of the times the gorilla girl girls don't do a very good job of recognizing the women of color and what they're dealing with as opposed like there's to there's more in that. Yeah. So they have been criticized for that, which is very important. And but with intersectionality is kind of a new thing so hopefully as years go on the gorilla girls will be able to recognize that and continue to mm-hmm. adopt and um yeah
1: and the truth is is like it just takes you know that effort where it's like if originally it was started by a group of white women i'm not saying that it's good but it would make sense that they would only see the issues that specifically affected them and then maybe assumed it applied to every woman right And so no matter what they looked like, and I I think that just like goes to showing like the, the benefit of having people in a group that don't look the same as you or not even about looking the same as you, but just have very different backgrounds, you know? So then that way you're really understanding the variety of problems and experiences people face,
0: you know? Yes, exactly. Like it's so important for you to surround yourself by people who are different from you.
1: especially when your goal is inclusion you know what i mean especially your whole goal as an organization is to speak out against things like that
0: it makes it even more important um one of the main criticisms and kind of the big controversy of the gorilla girls that they actually had an internal lawsuit problem inside of the group it was highly publicized and it happened in 2003 there was a bunch of animosity towards the leaders Frida Kahlo and Kathy Kalowitz. And those are um, the two two founders, I guess you could say, like the two mm. very first founders. Um, they wanted to have like a non hierarchical equitable power structure, but there was a bunch of people within the group who felt that they were making the final decisions no matter what else anyone said. So mm-hmm. they really felt like it wasn't non-hierarchical or equitable in any way and that those two were in charge and <laughs> that their voices weren't being heard. Um they said especially during some of the writing of some of the books, they felt that those two were completely controlling the book and were not allowing other people to have as much say. And there was even suspicion that those two took more of the profits. And they, they were really against that. As this continued to happen and kind of as the Gorilla Girls gained more traction, there was a huge um split, <laughs> is what they call the banana split. Mm. Um five members actually split from the collective and left, and they formed another group called Gorilla Girls Broadband. And this mm. led callow and Kalowitz to move to trademark the name gorilla girls inc because they wanted to dis- distinguish their group from the gorilla girls broadband group yeah and then there was another group that had formed called gorilla girls on tour which focused on discrimination in the theater world okay and, and so with all of that happening they tried to copyright their name but one of the major things they did that everyone was kind of outraged by is they used their real names to file the lawsuit Ooh. which showed like who they were. Um, it was Drella Zempel and Erica Rothenberg who were artists in their own right. And this really pissed everyone off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not only did they, was this claiming re- um, responsibility for the collective effort of the Gorilla Girls, they were like claiming the trademark of it and everything and ignoring all of the other founders, but they mm. were also like very flippant, they felt about their anonymity. Like especially
1: when that's like supposed to be what it was started as
0: exactly so they're like oh when it comes to legal things you're more than willing to drop your name but when it comes to like backlash for things that we've said you don't want to so it was just kind of weird um the judge who handled the case actually talked later about how weird it was that there were people um testifying wearing gorilla masks in his courtroom because obviously the rest of the members wanted to stay anonymous wow and he just said it was like a very strange case to cover the whole lawsuit was a 45 page complaint where Kahlo and Kalowitz described themselves as the group's guiding forces and even though the guerrilla girls were informally organized they asked for the court to stop Gorilla girls broadband and asked for millions of dollars in damages which is whoa so, I think they ended up losing because as of 2013, three separate groups remained active, the Gorilla Girls Broadband Inc, Gorilla Girls on Tour Inc, and the Gorilla Girls Inc. So, I think for the most part they There's lost three separate. Yeah. Interesting. And Gorilla Girls Broadband tends to focus more on the internet as its natural habitat, so they do a lot of stuff focused on that. Um mm-hmm. where Gorilla Girls the original one what's left of it still continues their physical displays and um, everything like that. so that's kind of the internal um interesting yeah that as a whole they've made a really big difference in the art world even if it just has opened the conversation tate museum i think has a standing exhibit of the gorilla girls at least they have a standing web page that's always there that talks about it um they also Mm -hmm. have a tate museum gorilla girls for kids exhibit where they talk about what the gorilla girls did um, towards more of a younger audience because obviously all of their posters aren't necessarily um, yeah. appropriate and they've also have a very far reach especially with posters it makes it very easy for them to be featured anywhere and everywhere because it's not like an oil painting where you have to have the original it's yeah a poster so it can be printed and produced and sent out I know last year during um, women's history month there was actually an exhibit in the Salt Lake Museum of Contemporary Art focused on mm. the Gorilla Girls that I got to go to, and it was very cool. So, yeah, they're still producing artwork. They're still in tons of exhibits. And, yeah, they've helped increase the conversation on what's going on in the art world, which is very important.
1: That is cool. I think even in that book, um, the Short Story of Women Artists, which we've referenced on a couple of podcast episodes now, but I'm pretty sure there's a section about them. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there is.
0: There probably is. They've made quite a stamp on the art world in general and hopefully made quite a few changes. I know there's a lot of museums who make a greater effort now than they ever did before. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, I thought it would be very fitting, especially for this month. And Yeah. Especially since this is kind of what we talk about.
1: I know. Well, originally with Women's History Month, we were like, ooh, what can we do special for it? And then we we're like, wait. <laughs> we we do that every episode, every every month. So <laughs> way to find a way to though make it something.
0: Yeah, I thought it would be fun. I knew I wanted to cover them at some point. I just didn't know when. And then I was like, you know what? Hers- Perfect is a very good time. Yeah. Yeah, especially since with Women's History Month, there probably will be a lot more things going around about the Gorilla Girls. They tend to be kind of pop up during that time period. Now when you see a poster about it, you will know who did it. Yeah. It was a gorilla. It was a gorilla who did it. A gorilla girl.
1: (laughs) A gorilla girl who did it.
0: (laughs) So that's the Gorilla Girls. So thank
1: you everyone for tuning in and listening with another week with More Than a Muse. Um be sure to follow us on our Instagram which is just more than Podcast, where we post about our episodes and yeah just do fun things you can really honestly just like even learn more and it's nice I I mentioned it before but like with an artist podcast you know talking about it is half of it, seeing it is the other half. So, definitely go to the Instagram so you can actually get the visual for all the things we talk about.
0: Yeah, we try to post a lot of the works of art we talk about as well as maybe some we didn't mention um mm-hmm. and especially photos. For me, I know it makes a big difference to actually see people's faces yeah. that we're talking about and kind of get to feel more of a personal connection with them and the Instagram really allows that. So, we'd love it if you would follow Yeah. And also just a reminder, we have a Patreon account. Um, We have our episode up for January on there and we have more fun stuff coming out. We're actually planning on like a mini series for the Patreon. Mm -hmm. So it should be really fun and just allow you to have even more content. If once a week is just too little for you, then (laughs) definitely go join our Patreon. The link is always on our Instagram and in every episode description. Well, I guess that's it.
1: We will talk to you all
0: next week and... Happy what international women's month or Yeah, women's I keep month? Women's History Month. International women's History women's month? month. Maybe it's just International Women's Month. I don't know. Whatever it is. Go women. Have a great month. Go women.
1: Yes. <laughs>